watching all movies with Rebecca and Jason. Are you gonna love them or hate them? Here comes the binge. Hey everybody, welcome to the Binge Movie Podcast, in which a couple of homos review the latest movie theater releases. I am Jason Leroy. And I'm Rebecca Olarte, and today we have not three, but four new movies to discuss. But four. Uh, but <laughs> they are Good Time, Logan Lucky, Marjorie Prime, and Ingrid Goes West. And as always, we're going to rate these movies on a three-tiered scale, with Binge being our highest rating. Consume in moderation means it's okay, but it's kind of meh. And send it back means... Life is too short for that mess. What's going on with you, Jason? Oh, you know, just just warm my hands, the flames of our country and its democracy. Mm. All that's valued principles, cherished traditions, basic decency, uh, respect for your fellow man. Just watching those things just can go up in real bright flames. Just, Crumble. Just, just looking, at, looking at the roof of the world, they're so high. Uh, guys, we are recording this on uh, the Tuesday following uh, the events in Charlottesville. There's probably something happening right now. By the time yeah. we ice like hit, I hit oh. stop instead of record. Like, we'll, we will have been obsolete. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so, no doubt, things have gotten even worse since we have recorded this. Um, but so earlier today, um, the president reversed course mm-hmm. on his on his uh, condemnation. Um, and went back to equivocating and, and, uh, and refer, referring to something called the alt-left, mm. which is not a thing. Not a thing. Which is absolutely a thing that Steve Bannon probably told him, like, mm-hmm. oh, we'll go out there. It's just the usual thing. Like, we'll just say, I know you are, but what am I? Right. Um, and so now we've been accused of having an alt-left that is somehow in any way equivocal to the alt-right. Uh, we've been told, I mean, it's implied that there is a left that is somehow the equal to the the white supremacists and neo Nazis mm-hmm. that uh, that were rioting and rampaging in Charlottesville, and who uh, ultimately killed a young woman with their car, um, I just like I it was probably the most frustrated I have been so far this entire presidency mm-hmm. when I saw that report today that he had that he had gone back, yeah, and that he had gone back to saying that it's all sides and that it is and that there is everyone on every side needs to take responsibility because it's that kind of false equivalency that just chat my ass all last year and continues to do so now and uh, especially in the light of such a horrifying horrifying incident one of the probably one of the darkest chapters uh in recent american history uh, in terms of what it represented uh about our past as a country and seeing the, this ugliness come to the surface and then to have a president fail to fully in the strongest terms condemn it mm-hmm. in order to feel like he needed to put an asterisk next to it right. and be like yeah, sure, it's bad, but you know, uh, you know, what's bad? The left, right? And then talking about how a lot of the people that were at the uh, original rally like weren't that bad. It's 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 the way it's being approved of on a national scale that the the fear is that it just it's going to get bigger. You know, there's mm-hmm. going to be another rally here in the Bay Area um, yeah, on the 27th. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely going to attend, um, and. It, I can't anticipate it's going to be great. She's not attending because she's part of it. <laughs> <She's laughs> That's a surprise. Rebecca's a white supremacist. Um, These khakis just look good on me. I'm sorry. <laughs> exactly. And she does make that face that all those guys made when she's yelling at me. <laughs> and she frequently is holding I a tiki torch. I watching you. She's frequently holding a tiki torch when she does so. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I just felt like... So guys, this past weekend while all this was going down, I... <laughs> 
was in a place that I really have only ever been once in my entire life, and this is the first time in 12 years that I've been there, and I would a weekend I picked to go, but I was in Lake Tahoe, um, which is just one of like the bougiest, whitest getaways that you can mm-hmm. have as a Californian. And uh, I was there with Scott and, uh, and two friends of ours, and, uh, and we didn't have a lot of uh, connection while we were there. And then when we did, we would just get these fits of horrifying emails, and then it would just go dead again. And it was such a horrifying feeling to both just be a sort of like powerless um, over like being able to even know what was going on. Mm -hmm. Um, And then also to know that we were doing like the whitest, bougiest thing imaginable Mm -hmm. by being like, oh, let's go to town. (laughs) I mean, we weren't skiing. I'll say that. There was no skiing. Because there was no snow. Because there was no snow. And also, I don't know how. Um, but you know, it was, it was, uh, yeah, it just made me, I couldn't quite kick back. So really it's about me and how I couldn't enjoy Tahoe, um, <laughs> because uh, of things that were being sacrificed it's in Charlottesville. Really, it really sucks when white supremacy affects white people. It really does. Uh, so I'm going to talk about that some more. Now, um, <laughs> Should I talk about how it affected me or is that irrelevant? I mean, I mean, you know, I mean, find an organic way to bring it up. But... <laughs> <laughs> Good luck to you. Um, <laughs> I actually feel, I feel somehow oddly better now. I don't know. Um, if you, things have gotten so bad, I have definitely been uh, you're, you're cracking your knuckles same, right now. the same phrase in my head where it's like, get Nazi punch in shape. Oh, um, okay. But uh, I have, you know, I felt very hopeless all year. And now it feels like things have gotten to a point where, um, I don't know. It almost feels like there's something that you can do um, hmm. that feels more tangible. Um, I went to a rally on Sunday uh, or on Saturday um, and um, a couple of things. If you wear all black to a rally, um, people might think you're a Antifa. So just a heads up on Wait, that. I think you're a what? Uh, you're like an anti-fascist. Oh, I didn't know that. Was that word? Antifa? Antifa. I've never heard that. Uh, it's the anti-fascist group. Um, okay. They they traditionally you know wear a lot of like uh, clothes to protect you to protest a lot of all black oh. and like face mask and their, their gloves protests and in New York must be really confusing. Uh, <laughs> <we're> LA. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it was it was empowering. It was um, I don't know I don't know what's gonna happen. I have no idea. I I also feel but, weirdly relieved just because I feel like a sense of now it has manifested. Yeah. In, in the most in the most bold, stark possible terms. Mm-hmm. And now we've the whole country has seen it. It's not the first of its kind in terms of like a white fascist supremacist gathering. Right. Um, it's not the first of its kind um, in this country in recent months, but it is now a story that's become a giant international news story. Mm-hmm. And so now, like, it just can't be disavowed. It can't be denied. Like, this is what all this rhetoric has been leading to and encouraging. Mm-hmm. And uh, and even even whenever you know the president did reach the barest of minimums for presidential behavior by saying Nazis are bad. Uh, you know, it was still so hypocritical to hear him talk about how racism is evil when he ran on a campaign of Mexicans or rapists. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, it's. I mean, obviously, like, not that we can ever look to him for an honest or good word. Um, but Jesus. I mean, this, when, I watch, when I watched him talk, I, I watched that ridiculously deranged speech today. And, and I don't feel anything towards him except, like, I know those people. I know those, like, crazy old people that say this nonsense. Like, that's not mm-hmm. a surprise to me. The fact no. that he thinks that and says it is not a surprise to me. It goes back again to the Republican establishment that's not doing anything about it uh, that I, I just cannot believe. I can't believe mm-hmm. they're not putting Pence in. Again, I'm not advocating for that necessarily, but I can't mm-hmm. believe that they're not pushed to do something mm-hmm. um, that would seem like it's in their better interest. I, I don't know what what is... 
And just what's the end game for people like Paul Ryan? Yeah. Um, I have no idea. Just that bald grasp at power and control at any cost seems but to be. Seems they're to be not the like they're being like they're being embarrassed by him. Um, they're probably trying to wait him out. You know, they'll be like now compared to him, we're all going to look really pretty. You know, when we I run feel for like they office. could do that now. With like, with, we, yeah, and we've already forgotten about the whole North Korea situation. Um, I mean, you know, well, I think well, North Korea themselves stepped in and said, you know what, <laughs> like no. we're not going to attack Guam anyway. Yeah. After all, we're just going to watch this like this this madness unfold. Um, you know, where they because the Yankees, the Yankees and their foolishness. Or yeah, they there's said. that uh, gif of Bill Hader eating popcorn right now. <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> I'm like pretty sick burn North Korea. Uh, but uh, but yeah. Um, who knows? Who knows what else will have happened by then? Um, but yeah, I have no idea what their end game is. I think we'd all like to think that there are adults behind the scenes somewhere that are trying to make something happen. Um, but, you know, and I think they are all constantly humiliated and embarrassed by this. But, you know, but what are they doing about it? You know, because I think they know that if they like openly criticize him, that they will get his fire and fury. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so I think that, you know, and he, yeah, I don't know. I don't Call know. Call it now. Coup. Yeah. Blood, bloodless? Mm-mm. It's already not been bloodless, Mm-mm. but maybe. I don't Mm-mm. know. Um, I'm just like, I'm imagining somewhere, yeah, if SoundCloud is still around in like t- 20 years, 10, 20 years, you like piece together the pieces of the show as like a slow, yeah. you just take the what's up with you and you make this like documentary this of this slow decline of our, of our country. Eventually mm-hmm. we're like here with a generator and movies don't exist anymore, except only movies produced by, what's his name, Mnuchin? So we're only watching his movies and we're trying to figure out how to review them. Oh shit. Well, I mean like the good news is most studio movies have major Republican funding. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I think even Wonder Woman, it turned out, had uh, some sort of like giant conservative under sure. uh so so we'll still have plenty of movies to watch um while our our sense of integrity uh flounders and, and cringes in the dark speaking but, uh, of uh <laughs> integrity cringing the dark should we start reviewing movies <laughs> oh right movies uh sorry thanks for letting us get that out guys uh i, I wish i could say it's probably the last time that we'll just be sitting here defeated people um mm-hmm. coming into this but it's just not likely so the first movie this week is Good Time. And it's about defeated people. Mm-hmm. After a botched bank robbery lands his younger brother in prison, Constantine Nikas embarks on a twisted odyssey through the city's underworld in an increasingly desperate and dangerous attempt to get his brother Nick out of jail. Over the course of one adrenalized night, Connie finds himself on a mad descent into violence and mayhem as he races against the clock to save his brother and himself, knowing their lives hang in the balance. Something happened. I don't know exactly what. My brother's been arrested. He's being held at Rikers Island. You could get killed in there. Sorry, I just have a client that walked in. We good? You get another 10 grand, your brother will get out. Where are you? How much money can you get right now? Come on, bro. Oh my gosh. Are you kidding me? What do you think I'm doing this for? I don't want to get him out tonight. So I was just looking uh, to see what notes I took about this movie after mm. watching it. And it turned out I'd only taken one note. And <laughs> in that one note said, Robert Pattinson's playing a real Casey Affleck type. Oh, yeah, he really is. Especially mm. 
modern Casey Affleck. Yeah, leans hard into the Casey mm-hmm. uh, in this role, and uh, and with great results. I think this is the best Robert Pattinson has ever been. Absolutely, it's a tremendous performance from him. Just really, really outstanding. He vanishes completely. There's there's not even the tiniest hint of what we might perceive to be Robert Pattinson. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it's one step deeper than Casey Affleck's Lois, because Casey Affleck's Lois is still kind of suburban, mm. where this is like straight up New York grit. Um, yeah. gritty street rat gritty type. glow um, so we have this movie uh, by the Safdie brothers which you know it, it has a lot of um, you know pacing uh, and aesthetic similarities uh, it's kind of like a um, thing kind of going on right now even to Ingrid Goes West that we're, we'll, we'll be reviewing later mm-hmm. um, uh, to drive it has that whole like neon Neon Demon, Neon, mm-hmm. Speedy, Synth soundtrack, Synthy, uh, definitely you know uh, large nod to the '80s, mm-hmm. um, and this one has uh, really an incredible pace. We were able to see the uh, director interview, uh, interview with the directors afterwards, and our Pattinson, and Robert Pattinson. In one That's of the right, more- guys, we were in a room with our Pat. We were in the same room. Yeah, take that, Trump. <laughs> Um, what a weird place to be that if he well anyway and they mentioned in this movie even though it's one of the more disappointing I think director interviews that I've been to Mm -hmm. um, they mentioned that one of the uh, other characters in this movie is time Uh, it's one of those you know you're following along in a story and in in one evening kind of in real time and and it's very very present you can feel the clock ticking every moment um, that they're racing against which I found very exciting Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and I really enjoyed about the movie yeah, it's definitely one of those kind of night from hell type stories mm-hmm. where it all takes place uh, in a single. It's it's a kind of movie that if a more a more pretentious person such as myself might mm-hmm. call it a nocturne. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you would. Yeah, I would yeah. say that it's a nocturnal odyssey mm-hmm. um, through the underbelly of the outer boroughs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, wow. Okay. Yeah, I'm going for it. Yeah, and, please and, go ahead. And uh, you know, and so in in so the Safdie brothers. I feel like A24, this, the U.S. distributor of this movie, is working overtime to make the Safdie brothers a thing. Mm-hmm. Partially because I think their name, their last name looks improbable and like <laughs> in like in like a miswritten word. So you look at it and you're like, Safdie. Like, clearly there's some letters switched around there. But no. That's Sof- right. Safdie is their last name. I believe their names are Benny and Josh. Mm-hmm. I think so. And uh, and one of them plays Robert Pattinson's brother in the movie. Benny. Uh, Benny. Uh, and the brother is developmentally disabled. And uh, and so the film begins with uh, with Benny being in um, in a counseling session that he was ordered to uh, after some incidents involving their grandmother. Uh, and uh, and then our elder pa- abuse. Elder abuse. And then our Pat just goes in, yanks him out, and immediately tries uh, wrangling him into this bank robbery that does not go well. Mm-mm. And then it's basically the fallout from that that we watch play out in what feels like real time, yeah. um, and sort of just as as the night gets darker and darker. It's just a it's a comedy of errors. Um, <laughs> real crack. That up. looks like it was filmed. It looks like it's an episode of The Wire. Mm-hmm. Um, it has a very uh, it has a very television feel to it as well hmm yeah i mean i have to give a shout out to schmucky jones for the work that he did really <laughs> capturing that aesthetic 
uh, <laughs> that, that grimy NYPD blue. <laughs> like 90s television yeah. uh, feel. Right, which, you know, in the 80s feel with the, the, the score, which is by an electronic artist. I can never, one oh tricks point never. Is that how his name is pronounced? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I hope so. That would be terrible if you were wrong. That would be. I probably am. Um, but yeah, you, you're following along our path for the rest of the movie as he's on this desperate attempt to save the his brother who he, through this botched robbery, gets arrested and then gets put into the hospital in jail and he's trying to break him out. Um, but, you know, he goes about things the way he knows how, which is in a complete um, degenerate, um, mm-hmm. no holds barred, manipulative, violent. Exploiting um, people of color. Yet also clever. Uh, way mm-hmm. um, and he yeah yeah did you say explaining people of color yeah, I did. yes <laughs> yeah I guess we can talk about the 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 two sort of black eyes this movie has one mm-hmm. is um, so to speak so to speak uh, one is how I can't believe you didn't realize that every person of color in this movie comes to a terrible demise at the hands of like the white character in this movie uh, which is something that was recently uh, another movie, The Bad Batch, was criticized for. Mm-hmm. And if you thought that movie was bad, this one is that much more obvious. Yes, it, I feel like it. I feel like it's not on purpose, but it's it's. We're at that point where we're. That's not the case anymore. You you have to be so willfully ignorant of the things, the decisions you've made about making this movie to let this be okay. That it's you're just as 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 to blame as if you had done this on purpose. Yes, at nearly every turn in the movie, uh, pretty much every person who gets fucked over um, on Robert Pattinson's flailing um, path toward trying to, you know, liberate his brother with some money so they can go and live with money. Almost everyone, from the bank teller they rob to people whose hospitality they take advantage of to uh, just an unwitting graveyard shift security guard, played by Oscar nominee Barkhad Abdi, mm-hmm. who obviously was never going to become a matinee idol um, with his resemblance to the world's ugliest dog, but he still deserves better uh, than this movie gives him. Uh, so it's it's really, it's really, we, it was, it's it stuck in both of our craws uh, as yeah. soon as we started to talk after the movie was over and we could not bring ourselves to ask the directors about it because um, we didn't want to be those guys. And, um, and also it seemed like the, so the guy who worked at the Alma, who did the Q and A, uh, was already being like he asked him a question that was such a softball, and he's like, "Well, not to not to get too deep, right? Yeah, yeah." yeah. And we're like, "Oh God!" Okay. Yeah, it was definitely like a pro safety bias. At yeah, this, it was. Uh, it was a fanboy. It was like a very fanboy reception, mm-hmm. and like in the introduction that the that the pro that the curator gave to the safety brothers before introducing them was so over the top, mm-hmm. so hyperbolic. Uh, and that's the way that guy always is. Sure, yeah. Um, but it's like, okay, like you're not doing them any favors by overselling them. Right. And then they came out just sort of like, just like wafting on their own waves of sort of like self-righteousness and, and self-aware cool, like, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, we made a movie. Yeah. Uh, it was, it was not... a very, uh, very advice-like aesthetic. Yeah. Very, um, very but again, I mean, hip, I feel like, bro. you know, you could make the case that like almost everybody that is uh, unlucky enough to fall into the path of Robert Pattinson's character in this movie comes to a, uh, a bad end. Mm-hmm. But it just, there, you can only have, yeah, it's completely disproportionate. If you can't have one uh, character of color come out on top, but you have a, a couple of white characters that do, like you've made a mistake. You haven't made a mistake. Yeah, there's been a mistake. And especially there's at least one character who it seems very clear that, oh, like this could be a surprise outsmarting type Mm -hmm. thing. But no, not the case. And not that things come to a good end for many of the characters in this movie. 
Um, but all the same, it was hard not to notice. And it's sort of like, it's almost like a misguided attempt to cast more actors of color. Right, yeah, I was going to say that. I was like, well, but, if they would have hired no actors of color, how would right. I have felt about it? Yeah. Um, I probably wouldn't have noticed as much as this seemed so clear. Mm-hmm. And speaking of casting choices, as Jason mentioned, um, one of the uh, writer-directors, one of the Safety brothers, he plays one of the main characters who is um, who is uh, developmentally um, differently abled. And... I don't know how to feel about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and when they asked it, they asked them about it at the Q and A. That's where it got a little weird for me because they. So the one aspect they said, you know, this movie is very physically demanding. You know, it is. There's a lot of you know like running and fighting and aggression and like there's a lot of uh, kind of psychological manipulation that happens. And so they were like, you know, so if we hired an actor, we, we would basically be manipulating them and lying to them right. to get them to perform, yeah. and that felt wrong. But then I felt like we've seen other movies with people um, who are differently abled, you know, nail it just fine. Todd Solnes is a, does an amazing job um, of hiring differently abled characters. And I, I don't know that that is something that they made a judgment about in under assuming the, the potential of 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 actors with um, that are differently abled. I felt like it was weird to sort of make that call on behalf of, an, of a group of people. Yeah, I mean, I, I I would say that, you know, it's one thing to cast a person with Downs um, in like a throwaway role, um, you know, where they just have a few lines here and there. But I think that to actually have to put them, you, what I haven't seen is movies or TV shows that cast different labeled people and put them through like extreme trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think that is probably another level. And, I don't, and, I I don't, feel and like... I don't know if they were making the call on their own. I don't know if they were working with consultants and asking, like, do you working with casting agencies that work with differently abled actors? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I don't want to assume the very worst about them. See, but so we're assuming the very best about them and then assuming that they're right in that people of differently abled, I would assume, then the worst of them by saying that they can't do it. So I feel like it's okay to assume that um, it's a good question to ask. Oh, yeah, no. I mean, I think it's a good question to ask. I, I, like, I just... why are we giving them the benefit <clears throat> of the doubt? Well, I mean, I think people, I mean, I'd like to give people the benefit of the doubt when possible, because I don't think they've done anything to personally make me think that I shouldn't give them some benefit of a doubt. They haven't personally wronged me. Uh, I don't, but you know. But they, I feel like that's <clears throat> the, like when we are, when we can question how someone does something, mm-hmm. um, I don't understand why they would get, but they, I mean, we don't know. We can go look up. We should have maybe asked again at the Q&A, mm-hmm. like what brought them to this decision? I just felt like it was a, it was a weird thing to make a decision on behalf of a group of people if they had met with people and said yes this is the case fine but like if you were to say that about some somebody else like i wouldn't want to put a an actor of color through uh you know the movie of detroit because that would be like too emotionally you know difficult for them to do i Mm -hmm. feel like that would seem so condescending um and hella racist that you wouldn't say that so Mm -hmm. i think that that we're maybe because it's a topic we don't talk about as often Mm -hmm. that we aren't like we don't think it's it's a, a weirder thing that they're doing. Yeah, I mean, I think they definitely should. Like, I'm not saying... I'm saying if they, on their own, reach the conclusion, just talking back and forth as these, like, bro brothers being like, oh, yeah, man, I bet someone, you know, who had a disability would fucking freak out if they had to do a bank robbery scene. Let's not do that. Then, yeah, that's wrong. Then they should have, like, worked with a casting consultant to be like, okay, like, you know, let us know. Like, here's the script. You know, let us know. Is this is this a realistic thing? Do you have, like, you know, clients that we could cast in this role? Um, and I also, I'm always a little uneasy about, you know, in any time that, um, you know, that a non-differently abled actor mm, yeah. is is cast in, a, in, in that kind of part. Even, like, I'm watching Claws, and week after week, Harold Perrineau uh, plays Nisi Nash's brother. 
and I believe he's just meant to, he's just meant to be, um, he's just meant to have, uh, he's meant to be autistic, but he plays it with this, like, he always has, like, his hand up and raised, and he's mm. always kind of like, I'm like, I don't, I haven't seen that tick very often in people yeah. with autism. So, Having you know, a fences moment. Yeah, having a fences moment. So, you know, uh, it's real, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a dicey territory. And, um, you know, and I think that, and the uh, Benny Softie, is is very convincing in the role. I was actually I was shocked um, that he was the. I did not know when I watched it that he was one of the directors because mm-hmm. I was like, oh wow, they really actually did find you know an actor that you know differently labeled, but uh, but not the case. It was just the director, you know, which is almost like it almost seems insulting. To be like, oh wow, you do that impression real good. Um, Why is that insulting? And you know, it's just like to be like, oh wow, you do that. It's just it's. I think there's still just that childhood stigma of like doing impressions of mm. the disabled mm-hmm. um to mock people oh absolutely yeah. so you know so it's still the kind of thing where it's kind of like oh like is that is you know it's just yeah there's so much uh stigma and baggage around that issue it's yeah. something that we as a you know culture don't talk about very often because it makes us uncomfortable yeah it's definitely i mean a, a group that there's not a lot of representation um this you know as another example of that i i feel like if this was 10 years ago and someone were, were last year and someone were playing a trans person and we were like oh we don't actually know if trans people want to be like mm-hmm. i feel like the way to go into that is to be like well let's give it the benefit of the doubt and assume that they would want an opportunity to do this mm-hmm. um instead of kind of i don't know, making that decision so maybe that one's a little bit more uh subtle than the uh way they treat colors uh actors of color in this movie but it's a real shame because i enjoyed this movie a lot did you i really did i thought it was a wild ride it, it was very frenetic um, again, what do you call him? Rob Pat? Rope Pat? Our Pats. Okay, our Pats. Um, Playing was Connie. a lot of fun. Um, yeah, I don't know. It, it was it was really dark. The the soundtrack was amazing. Mm-hmm. Some weird shit happens. Um, yeah, I enjoyed it. It reminded me a, a lot of this really great uh, German film called Victoria mm-hmm. that came out, I believe, last year, the year before. It is a single take two and a half hour long uh, sort of like bank robbery gone awry in the middle of the night movie mm. is filmed in Berlin in real time between the hours of I believe oh, like yes. I think like, I like 4 and 6.30 a.m. Mm-hmm. or something like that and uh, of course you know it starts at 4 a.m. when things are just getting started at a nightclub in Berlin right and um, and then just goes until the sun comes up in the final moments and um, and uh, this, this movie kind of captures that same that that same just yet that middle of the night intensity where you mm. feel like you're in this this underworld um, you know, where like you might never see the sun again and like anything's right. possible and normal rules don't apply. You're and everybody in... you run into is also like out that late for a weird reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it, I, I do think that this movie has been overpraised in general because mm-hmm. I don't think that it is, it is very similar to many other films. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it is, you know, the Softy brothers said that they wanted to basically make their version of a popcorn movie. Um, and this was their attempt to make a popcorn movie because their previous films have been extremely like minimalistic, understated. And this, it really is. It's a very much an adrenaline rush of a movie. I mean, it's it's still very artsy. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I mean, it's like I think they mentioned this as well. It's like the you feel like you're watching this movie on a VHS tape in the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it does that, especially with the music. Uh, but, you know, so, yeah, it's it's you know, it's definitely a fine sort of like pot boiler uh, you know, action epicy, uh, epicy. It's an epic, epic epicy. It's an epic odyssey. Um, <laughs> you know, but with that said, it's 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 not some startling new vision. Uh, mm, it's no. it's you know, it's just it has a slightly more gritty version of a story that we've seen before. What are you giving this one? I'm giving it a consume moderation. Unfortunately, same here. Okay. Um, it, it would maybe a consume plus. 
Um, it's definitely, I wouldn't go to the theater to see it. I would definitely rent it. Mm. Um, but it would make a good Friday night popcorn film, I think. Um, and it is rated R for language throughout violence, drug use, and sexual content. And that brings us to our second movie, which is Logan Lucky. West Virginia family man Jimmy Logan teams up with his one-armed brother Clyde and his sister Melly to steal money from the Charlotte Motor Speedway in North Carolina. Jimmy also recruits demolition expert Joe Bang to help them break into the track's underground system. Complications arise when a mix-up forces the crew to pull off the heist during a popular NASCAR race while also trying to dodge a relentless FBI agent. Charlotte Motor Speedway. I know how they move the money. The only guy who knows anything about blowing up real bank vaults is Joe Bang. I am incarcerated. Yeah, we got a plan to get you out. Well, this is the uh, interesting group of people to watch after this last weekend. Um, would when did you see this movie? Uh, it's been a few weeks. Okay. Yeah. Um, you maybe um have not as quite of a, a whimsical farcical look at the uh, deep south in these days. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That affected your reception of this movie? Uh, no. Uh, well, I mean, like you know, I mean, what happened happened in Virginia, you know. So I don't think of that as like the deep south. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but uh, but this is it. Certainly is a very sort of red state playing movie in the sense that it's about a West Virginia father who uh, works in a coal mine in North Carolina uh, and has to go back and forth to try to make money for his daughter who's with his ex-wife who's played by Katie Holmes (laughs) just there for her good for her getting work Um, there is life after being a Scientology war bride after all it turns out but uh you know so there are those those pieces of the story that do seem to play into, uh, uh, you know, almost cynically into economic preoccupations of the right. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's a Heartland heist movie, and it's and, it, and it's made by Steven Soderbergh, <laughs> uh, who, Heartland expert, who in 2013 announced that he was retiring from film for good after making side effects. Mm. And I can oh, see yeah. why, because mm-hmm. <laughs> af- after that Rooney Mara, Catherine Zeta-Jones lesbian subtext, mm-hmm. you, where do you top that? Can't. Oh, just kidding. You topped it in Carol. Um, so Todd Haynes done snatched your wig, Steven mm-hmm. Soderbergh. You thought you made the ultimate Rooney Mara lesbian story, but you did not. It got done right after you. So side effects was going to be the end, but then he decided he wanted to make another movie. And there's been a lot of, written about how he... Basically made this entirely on his own, found financing on his own. He's been finding out a way to distribute it without using a major studio, um, you know. And the whole the cast all worked for scale hmm. uh, to make this. And what movie. a cast it is! It's a tremendous cast. Um, Channing Tatum, Jada Tatum, Adam Driver, Riley Keough, Daniel Craig, uh, the aforementioned Katie Holmes, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Catherine Waterston, Catherine Waterston. Mm-hmm, that's right. I forgot. Hilary Swank. Yes, the world's worst two-time Oscar winner. <laughs> Ms. Hillary Swank shows up very late in the game and makes a lot of strange acting choices <laughs> as a federal investigator. Oh, man. Uh, so, yeah, he gets the gang's all here. The gang's all here in this movie. Um, for what? You know, it's pretty threadbare. It's it's just, it's another Soderbergh heist movie. He's made mm-hmm. so many. Yeah. He has made so many. And he even makes little in-jokes about his past heist movies in this movie. 
Wow, that seems very um, masturbatory. Like a character uh, in the story refers to the heist within this movie as Ocean 7-Eleven. No. Yes. Hmm. Uh, so, you know, so it's, 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 you know, it's a little self-satisfied. That, that is a big part of why I didn't love this movie is because it is only about half as funny as it thinks it is. Oh, yeah, that's the worst. It carries itself with this kind of like crack em up swagger. Like we're being so funny about this, mm-hmm. but it, and it's trying to do that sort of Coen brothers deadpan thing, but it's not doing it well. And uh, and because I think the movie, it still kind of ultimately has that, um, you know, it has more swagger. And <laughs> those movies are not known for their mm-hmm. swagger. No. And that's part of what, you know, why they work is because they're so sort of antisocial uh, in their own way. And they're so sort of removed and just sort of like laughing at the, the doltishness and, 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 and tragedy of human nature. <laughs> um, whereas in this movie, Soderbergh, it's kind of like, yeah, these guys are, you know, like, yeah, I'm going to kind of joke a little about how they're really dumb. But also, they're fucking awesome. I mean, it's Channing Tatum. It's yeah. always fucking awesome. You can't yeah. turn that off. No, you can't just you can't just put under a bushel. Um, <laughs> you know, because he's just gonna hip thrust his way right out of that bushel every time. But so, which is why I keep putting the bushel back on because I like watching him come out of it. But um, you know, there's there's it's it's just yeah, it's like Heartland, Hillbilly, Hick heist movie. Uh, you know, Soderbergh heist thing usual, but in a new setting. Uh, you know, it's. Uh, Chang Tatum and Adam Driver play brothers. They are periodically amusing as brothers, uh, but again, not as much as they think they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, Riley, is there anybody of color in this movie? Um, no, I don't think so. Um, Riley Keough plays her latest variation on sort of like Deep South Skank, which I mean is becoming like a like you don't want to go the way of Juno Temple and sort of get like. This 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 hypersexualized typecasting where you're only like she's only ever cast as prostitutes, June Temple, mm-hmm. and at this point, Riley Keough will only be cast as like Southern girls who are sexualized and wear bikinis through the movie, uh, because after American mm-hmm, Honey, right. which was a great performance, absolutely, um, you know, now she and she, I, I do like her as an actor. I think she has a great kind of presence and energy, but you know, I just worry for her that she's just going to keep getting cast in these roles where she plays a Southern girl in a bikini. Because uh, that does don't Heather Grammett. Don't Heather Grammett. I mean, Heather, unless you mean by look the same age for the rest of your life, forever, that's a fine thing. Then, then absolutely Heather Grammett. No matter how many babies you eat, An- another <laughs> so many babies. Another strange thing about this movie is that you know, so on the one hand, it kind of has this you know sort of like what Heartland naturalism uh, looseness to the way it tells its story, but it has these moments where it really breaks its tone by having these meta pop culture jokes that its characters would not make. I feel like this is that sort of thing where when you talk about pop culture, as we'll talk about in the review coming later for Angry Goes West, um, sometimes when you you can you can make them and they work and then sometimes they're so weak that it, it ruins the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Like, for instance, uh, in this film, uh, Channing Tatum's uh, he has a young daughter with Katie Holmes and uh, she is now living with Katie and her new husband who has two young sons. And uh, and the young daughter is getting ready to do a, a dance pageant, and she's going to do a performance to Rihanna's Umbrella. And then one of the little boys, who's like seven years old, is like, you know that song when she says Umbrella? She's not talking about an umbrella, right? She's talking about her vagina. And I'm like, I don't think that's mm. a thing a seven-year-old boy would say. Mm-mm. And then later there is, and this is kind of clever, but again, it just like breaks you out of the, you know, it snaps you out of the the the, the experience of the movie. There is a, so one of the characters has to be, well, several have to be broken out of prison to carry out this heist that's happening during a NASCAR race, as we mentioned, just really just doubling down on the red state appeal. <laughs> and um, 
And uh, so the prisoners uh, are, are cooperating with these uh, other of their fellow inmates who are being escaped to do this thing and then come back in. And so they like cover up all the windows and then they lock out all the guards and they're making demands on how what they need before they'll let the guards in again and stop this this riot. And um, and they they demand the final two unwritten books of the Game of Thrones series. Mm. Um, and they pretend that they don't know they haven't been written yet. Uh, and they're like, well, they're like, you know, no, there's a guy in here who said that X, Y, and Z already happened. And you have to like cut to like the, you know, the deputy being like, well, from what we have heard, well, from what we have gathered, those are things that happened on the TV show, uh, but not <laughs> in the books because the TV show has, has gone past the books. And they're like, well, that doesn't make any sense. What do you mean? Uh, you know, like, no, they said these books are being written. And and it's just like, and there's not there's not enough other scenes like that to be like, oh, we're doing this, like this arc-heightened Tarantino thing where right, everyone's right, just yeah. firing off pop culture references. Like, it's the 90s again. Um, <laughs> no, that happens two times. And oh. so it's just, it's very, yeah, it's 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 distracting. And uh, so, <laughs> you know, so I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm wondering, I started to wonder, so, okay, I didn't like Baby Driver. I didn't like Good Time. I didn't like this movie, Logan Lucky. Uh, I mean, I, all three of them I'm okay with, mm-hmm. but all three of them I feel like have been have been inordinately praised, and all three I'm like, I don't get it. And mm-hmm. I think about all three, straight men would look back at me and be like, they're fun! Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know what it's called? It's called Straight La La Land. <laughs> Wasn't La La Land the straight La La Land? I mean, for women and gay men. Mm. I mean, I feel like gay men really hate La La Land, at least the ones I know, but... You know, I think this is, I mean, it's definitely, it's a thing where I'm just like, guys, it doesn't do it for me. No. You know, like, I'm just, you know, like, like cool, great, I mean, we're watching another heist, great. You've, uh, you've liked, I mean, I guess it depends, like, I mean, there are a lot of, you know, straight dude movies that you like, like uh, John Wick, Jean Wick. I do like Jean Wick, um, and Deadpool. And I'm sure there's, an, yeah, Deadpool, Sure. although that one's kind of gay. Um, yeah, that's true, B. Arthur. There's got to be another one. referenced, but... You know, like, so these are just, I, I guess that these, you know, these, yeah, these, these heist movies, uh, bank robbery movies, uh, you know, I guess I'm just like, do something fresh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and I guess, you know, with, with Baby Driver, thought it was doing this really fresh thing by having such a strong musical component to it. It didn't strike me as fresh at like all. Like, that's not new at all. I know, I know. So it, many movies. I know, I'm like, and... oh, how unique. You had a, a soundtrack and you edited your movie with its soundtrack? Yeah, it's called wow. fucking Garden State. Look <laughs> <laughs> at <laughs> Look at how we look at that movie now and that soundtrack. Like, so you're saying what you made was a movie. Right. Amazing. Right. Oh, you made a talkie? That's great. I know. Sound is a wild thing. Get schmucky. He'll hook you up. <laughs> but, you know, and then, you know, Good Time at least has a really strong point of view from its directors that does distinguish it from just these sort of like, you know, knee slapping Good Time bro movies. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Logan Lucky, um, you know, despite its kind of low key charm, it's just, yeah, it's just kind of self-satisfied. And the way the baby driver struck me is as well. These are both like three-star movies that think they're five-star movies. Mm. And uh, and that is not a thing that sits well with me as an audience member. What are you giving it? Uh, consume moderation. Mm. Again, you know, this is this is a total uh, airplane movie. Oh. Um, a total popcorn movie. More so than Good Time. Good Time is not a popcorn movie. Good Time is, is a fairly grueling experience no, as a movie. No, popcorn is a... Um, you went out for a fourth meal and you came home with a bunch of Taco Bell by yourself and you put this on a Netflix and you're like still kind of drunk. Mm. That's what it is. It's not popcorn. It's a Chalupa <laughs> Supreme. You know of what you speak. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> I've heard people do it. Um, but Logan Lucky is out now. Ready PG-13 for language and some crude comments. Movie number three is couldn't be more different. Uh, it's Marjorie Prime. 86-year-old Marjorie spends her final ailing days with a computerized version of her deceased husband. With the intent to recount their life together, 
Marjorie's prime relies on the information from her and her kin to develop a more complex understanding of his history. As their interactions deepen, the family begins to develop diverging recounts of their lives, drawn into the chance to reconstruct the often painful past. I still don't like it. What? Dad's been dead for 15 years. Does it bother you that your mother's talking to a computer program or that a computer program is pretending to be your dad? Well, you're a good Walter, either way. Thank you. Creeps me out. It's how she remembers him. I don't want to get you in trouble. You learn I like that. She's nicer to that thing than she is to me. It's your father that she's being nicer to. Are you jealous? So, on my list of things that uh, I'm sensitive about in movies, uh, Animal... Animals in peril, mm-hmm. uh, number one. Uh, people uh, throwing up, mm-hmm. which that's a little different. Um, but um, anytime people have like uh, dementia or Alzheimer's, it really affects me. Mm. Makes me freak out. That said, that's what this movie's about. <laughs> <laughs> at least in the beginning. At least, yeah, at least in the beginning. Um, uh, so, yeah, just expect that. I mean, it's no uh, uh, still Alice. Yeah, no, it's not nearly as uh, as punishing as we've seen it portrayed in movies like Away From Her or even mm. The Notebook. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but still, you know, what we have here is uh, we have a story that takes place a lot further in the future than you might think when you first start watching it. Mm-hmm. Uh, about uh, this, uh, this yeah, this, this woman in her 80s who's played by the great and amazing Lois Smith, who is so brilliant. So amazing in this. And I feel oh. like it's easy to be like, oh, there's this, you know, this actor... Uh, there's this acclaimed actress from mm. all these great movies, you know, doing uh, a leading role here in her 80s. Like, let's just talk about how great it is because yeah. that sounds like a cool and like yeah. respectful thing to do. Right. No, it is no. so this, amazing. This it's some... heartbreaking. Ugh. It's it's it, it runs you through the ringer. Um, yeah. She just nails it. It's not some glorious Stuart and Titanic bullshit. Oh, no, <laughs> this isn't false praise. Just just no. because she's a veteran. Uh, no, I mean, she just nails the indignant pride of a senior citizen raging against infantilization mm-hmm. while also facing the reality of her own declining health. Right. Uh, she and she's right. and she yeah, she's just yeah she's brilliant and she's always been you know just a dependable character actor uh, who you know gets cast as like kindly grandmas mm-hmm. or kindly neighbors. So it's great to be able to see her get this kind of role in a movie that she can sink her teeth into. Really, really. Um, and the woman they get to play the younger her looks like the younger her so much. Mm-hmm. That's true. So, uh, so she uh, is is living with her uh, her daughter, played by Gina Davis. Always good to Unbelievable. see somebody who I wrongly believed had ever stopped working, but then I like looked through her IMDb mm. and she she never stopped. She just made a lot of TV shows I never watched. <laughs> she did stop making yeah, movies so much. Um, but uh, Gina Davis and um, her husband Tim Robbins. My first note I wrote was Tim Robbins was married to Louise, and now he's married to Thelma. <laughs> Oh, you. Uh, So, and then there is this thing called a prime, Mm -hmm. which is a hologram. Uh, It's not actual, it doesn't take up actual space. It's not a physical thing you can touch. If you move your hand over it, your hand will go through it. Um, But it it looks very much like a fully present three-dimensional person that that is meant to be sort of uh, therapeutic. Mm -hmm. Uh, And in in the case of... uh, you know, I'm guessing that there there are allusions made to like the way it was marketed or the different features they sure, have. Sure, yeah. It seems like it can probably serve a lot of different functions. But in this case, they're using a prime of Lois Smith's uh, husband, who's been dead for 15 years, to try to help her hold on to her memories. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and they, they filled the prime, basically it just learns all the things that you tell it. It retains every piece of it. And then, you know, it says them back to you. And so that way Sounds it Sounds like, amazing. I want one right now. <laughs> <laughs> of me? No. Um, and, uh, so, you know, so that's how it begins. And we have this sort of, there's like the irony because we see flat through flashbacks that he was older than her, mm-hmm. uh, when they were together. And now here she is in her eighties and this young, the version of him that we first met is now sort of like escorting her to the grave. Played by? John Hamm looking so damn good. Mm-hmm. Oh and my that God. might be the first of the, you know, the uh, elephant in the room about this movie is it very much is, uh, has been called and is very similar to Black Mirror. Yes. And there was the John Hamm Black Mirror episode that was one of my absolute favorites. Um, this, the way it looks, it looks like it's filmed in the same way that Black Mirror is. Mm-hmm. It has that bit of, um, it's, you know, it's very human, yet has like a, there's a, definitely a wall there. There's a, a, yeah. a, a coldness to it. Yeah, there was some episodes. Yeah, I haven't watched Black Mirror except for um, oh my god, except for San Junipero. That's the only one I've seen. Of course, um, of course. which Scott told me to of watch. Of course, um, but they were we were just on the drive back from Tahoe. Um, they were talking about Black Mirror, and they started talking about an episode that sounded almost exactly like this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a, a young couple, and um, the the fiance or boyfriend or whatever uh, he passes away, and mm. she orders like a a version of him. Mm-hmm. They feed it everything he's ever like put out into the world, all right. of his like, internet posts and stuff, and it looks like him, and it's played by. Um, um, D- Donald Gleason. Oh, Donald Donald Gleason. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you know it it gets so far, but then at the, a certain point she needs it to connect more. It's right. almost like and it's, it's torture only, that it's right. so close, but not so close. Which ties into Inger Goes West in a way, right? Because it's yeah. sort of about like the phone, oh the God. phoniness of only using social media posts to explain who you are. Yeah. Wow. Yes. All the, all these connections, except uh, for Logan Lucky. That one's just no. Early. That one is just on its own. But you know, I mean, yeah. As is this movie is like a meditation on grief and loss mm-hmm. and the intersection with technology, right? So and what make, is existence? What is existence? What are we other than the sum of our memories? And you know, one of the other and things that they be manipulated. I don't know how, how Black Mirror is with its score, but this is yet another mm-hmm. standout score by Micah Levi, mm-hmm. who did the score for Jackie. Yep, and the score for Under the Skin. And uh, just gorgeous. Like it was again. There's another thing. Jackie was nominated, right? She was nominated yeah. for it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I didn't know that she had done the score for this. And I just sat there. I'm like, this score. Mm-hmm. My God, it's just like rattling my bones. And then the credits rolled, and I had two things confirmed. Oh, it is Michael Levi, and also, oh, it was based on a play. Oh, of course. Yes. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> oh my God, it's it so sure stagey. Sure did. Yes. Wow. Which, wow. Wow. Well, uh, always. I don't know. I always end up liking uh, things that were plays more for yeah. some reason. Um, and yes, it was Schmucky Jones. And it was Schmucky, again, with the gripping. <laughs> so much gripping. Best grip in the game. But, uh, you know, graduate from a best boy. Mm-hmm. Uh, really did. So, you know, so kudos, fast. kudos Schmucky. I mean, I like to think that we're just, you know, really helping his career. But uh, retroactively, since this was all shot before we first started shooting for <laughs> Schmucky, we'll take the credit. But, uh, you know, this is, uh, it is very much a play. And it has some play-like things that can be downfalls in movies such as the fact that it's a bit the the writing's pretty heavy-handed yes yeah there there's definitely uh exchanges in in dialogue that wouldn't really happen yeah don't don't have the ring of not not very cassavetti style (laughs) doesn't really have the ring of realism to it Mm -mm. so it's a lot of dialogue feels labored um and yet wow what a heartbreaker yeah oh yeah i was really really affected emotionally by this movie like mm-hmm. it, it just, it just, you know, it just made me want to go and hug Scott, and then it was over, and then I went and he was asleep. 
I think one of the like, reasons well, that the, a lot. one of the reasons the dialogue, even though it's a little uh, little much, works is because of the acting. You have Tim Robbins, mm-hmm. um, you have Gina Davis, and again, like I said, Lois Smith. Like you, ha- you need somebody of that caliber to care to deliver those lines. Otherwise, it's going to feel so Absolutely. awkward and clumsy. Um, but they do, you know, the best. Yeah, the best with it. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, they're the ones who keep it from going over the top. And um, you know, I think you know Tim Robbins might. He, I think he struggles maybe a little bit toward the end. But mm. and I got the sense that Gina Davis was kind of rushing um, her lines in mm. general. You know, I'm just like, but she's still she's gosh, she's such a movie star. Just hearing her mm-hmm. voice always yeah. makes me so happy. Yeah, me too. Um, you know, such a distinct voice that one has. And uh, and you know, and then it was funny. There there are moments where things shift in terms of primes. And, uh, and I was like watching a performance being like, why is that performance suddenly so stilted? Right, right. And then it's like, oh, shit. Oh, that's on purpose. Uh, it, 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 it's, it's pretty wild. This movie is directed by Michael Almereda, um, who is this kind of uh, real, has a unique film, a filmography dating back to this great movie, Nasha, this sort of like black and white hip vampire movie from the mid 90s. Uh, most recently, he made the movie Experimenter with Peter Sarsgaard and Winona Ryder. And now he has this. And, uh, you know, this this came out of Sundance this year and had a lot of, you know, good notices because of its mm-hmm. cast and mm-hmm. because of its power. And and certainly it has a lot of overlap with, like, movies like Her and with mm-hmm. Black Mirror. Um, but, you know, as as it's it's just an interesting movie about the power of stories and the power of memory. Mm-hmm. Because it's really just, like, and not only the power of, you know, stories that we tell about our lives and how the end of the, at the end of the day all that's left are these stories... And, um, but also the power of movie stories, mm-hmm, um, because mm-hmm. my best friend's wedding plays oh, right. yeah, a huge role at <laughs> the beginning of the surprisingly movie. Surprisingly huge role. Yeah. My best friend's wedding plays. And even mm-hmm. with clips from it, yeah, <laughs> we get to see Cammy D, uh, in my best friend's wedding in her, <laughs> in her 95 splendor. And, uh, yeah. and, and there, again, there's another film later on that they, that they reference and they're showing, they're like watching and they're like pulling in, inspiration from. But this movie's about the biggest of things. Uh, life? It just tackles the biggest questions about existence and life and death and legacy and memory and family and meaning and... Uh, Choice. My best friend's wedding. Uh, <laughs> really just everything that's ever just boggled the philosophers and kept them going. Uh, this movie is, uh, and you know, it doesn't, you know, pretend to have answers, thank God, but you know, mm-hmm, it really mm-hmm. just gets you, it just move, it moves you, you know, it moves you mentally just with its, you know, sort of provocative examination of these issues and issues of these sorts of questions. But, and also it really is just moving. It's really affecting, mm-hmm. uh, you yeah. know, it's gorgeously made, gorgeously shot, directed, acted, scored, um, gripped, uh, <laughs> Yes, I think it's like I think the comparisons to Black Mirror and her um, are just that. Like it doesn't make the movie any more or less um, good. I think that they, they these things coexist in the world. It, there's clearly something going on here um, in terms of ways that we can um, manipulate our the way this ties into Ingo Goes West even mm-hmm. the way we can manipulate the way we're seen and the way that we're remembered and the way we remember ourselves and the things around us that like is very uh, top of mind right now mm-hmm. um, and um I, this captures it perfectly I yeah think. I think this and Ingrid goes but goes west but you're about to hear us review uh, mm-hmm. both do an excellent job of capturing a very real intersection between like fundamental humanity and technology mm-hmm. uh, what are you giving this one you know, I think it's imperfect, but I'm still going to give it a binge it. Oh, I'm definitely giving it a binge it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think, it, you know, it's and this is a small movie. 
Uh, it's worth seeking out. Uh, it's definitely it's 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 a bit of a tearjerker, mm-hmm. um, but I think it, it it's yeah it's it's a little gem that's well worth seeking out, especially now in August when the theaters are just like graveyards. Like there's just not a whole lot to see. Um, so this is one to find if you can. You know all the movies this week. Um, again, I didn't see Logan Lucky, so I'm Logan Lucky, so I'm not that sure. But they they all sort of like. None of them are really feel-good movies. No, they're all kind of like, well, who are we? You know, uh, on this on this crazy yeah, rock in the universe. Yeah. Logan Lucky's a feel-good movie. Um, but, but yeah. yeah, it's and we didn't like that one. So no, exactly, because we don't like to feel good. I don't know if you guys <laughs> don't figured that out about us yet. Um, so the time is perfect for us. But mm-hmm. um, what we did like is our next movie, Ingrid Goes West, which is our pick of the week. Pick of the week. Pick of the week. Pick, pick, pick is the pick, pick of the week. Following the death of her mother and a series of self-inflicted setbacks, young Ingrid Thorburn escapes a humdrum existence by moving out west to befriend her Instagram obsession, a Los Angeles socialite named Taylor Sloan. After a quick bond is forged between these unlikeliest of buddies, the facade begins to crack in both women's lives, with comically malicious results. The couple that yogas together stays together. Hashtag perfect. True romance vibes. Hashtag yes. perfect. Perfect. So for this review, we are joined by a special guest, mm-hmm. uh, longtime uh, friend of the show, a colleague of Rebecca's, who happened to be at the same screening as she mm-hmm. uh, for this film. Please welcome to the Binge Movie Podcast, Mr. David Fitzgerald. Hi. Hi. Welcome, How's it going? David. Good, good. Uh, it's going well. How are you? Good, good. You guys? Uh, pretty good. I mean, you know, all things considered. Um this, we we've heard a lot about what you've had to say about other movies that mm. we reviewed, and um, in spite of the in spite of that, we've brought you on today to talk about a movie because you had so much to say about it uh, that was interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I was kind of wondering what qualified me to talk about this because I feel like mm. a lot of your previous guests have had their own little kind of niche. Yeah, thing. really mm-hmm. makes you wonder. But yeah. um, what it I was, is? I suppose I'm your only Instagram obsessed friend who's in the country and has seen the movie. But <laughs> there, there's a couple of qualifiers there. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> um, if, if if brought up in a legal matter, I would say it was because of your accent that we brought you on um, <laughs> to entertain our listeners with that. Uh, but uh, a but, credibility with the accent. I yeah, think. there's there's a certain authority mm-hmm. uh, that comes with it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. From having a patch of gold, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yes, like that's what we think of as sophistication. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know about you, but I feel like I'm 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 in high society when I hear that so close to me in person. Uh, so Ingrid Goes West uh, is a movie that the three of us all saw two consecutive screenings on one night a few weeks back. And we all immediately just dove into conversation with each other about it mm-hmm. extensively, uh, because I think this is this is the closest that a movie has come to really capturing the experience of social media in sort of a psychological, emotional way. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we talked about it so much, it seemed that for us to properly review it, we would need to spoil it. 
Yes. Uh, so, yeah. guys, we are going to be spoiling the movie. We're not going to be doing spoil that shit because it's not shit. No, it is again um, our pick of the week. Nor are we going to be going through it bit by bit by bit describing the entire plot. But the things we are going to discuss are going to include the ending of the movie. Mm-hmm. So if you don't want to hear any of that, then stop listening now. Um, and But you can know that it is our pick of the week. And so we do recommend that you go see Ingrid Goes West. Uh, but it's not particularly the kind of movie where hearing the end of the movie is going to spoil it for you. You're not, not so tied movie. up. Right, yeah. You're not so tied up in the plot that you're going to lose anything by knowing the end. Yeah, and it's it's also similar enough to a lot of movies that we've all seen mm-hmm. um, structurally, plot-wise, that it's not a shock-a-minute type movie. Mm-mm. Uh, you know, the, the glory of Inger Goes West is not in its plot, it's in its richness of detail. My God, they really <laughs> leave nothing un, unperfectly noticed. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and in the acting. And in the acting as well. Uh, I think that, you know, we all felt uh, seen uh, to, to one to one degree or another. Yeah. Regardless of how much you wanted to be. Yes. I mean, it's hard for a movie to take on something that is so timely. It's like so of this moment. And it, and it, and it, like, cause especially as we talk every week, the moment changes constantly, right? Things are changing constantly. And like, you make a movie and, you know, it takes so long to be developed and then, and then produced that, like, by the time it's out, it's already like kind of outdated. And this movie is so on point. Like, they don't get anything, they're not off at all in the time it took. But even production. you see that so often when a website is featured and they use like oh that's what the website looked like yes. two years ago yes <laughs> yes, yes. Mm-hmm. but yeah definitely I felt that with Air Goes West that it was not only that they incorporated everything that it felt so current and you didn't kind of have any moments where it departed from the kind of reality that you were immersed in mm-hmm. but also at the screening we were at the guy introduced it saying that it's kind of one of the first times that there's been this kind of like thriller psycho movie type thing where they've allowed technology into it so much because Mm. so often they kind of avoid that because of all the, oh, well, they could have got out of that situation by just making a phone call. Oh, right, exactly. And it it brought me back to, like, the likes of Nocturnal Animals Mm -hmm. where there was a lot Mm -hmm. of stuff where by going to that kind of more remote desert location, it cut out what technology can do in that kind of scenario, Mm -hmm. which Mm -hmm. I loved. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's get started talking about the character of Ingrid, this this title character who's played by Aubrey Plaza, uh, who at last this year seems to really be coming into her own as a movie star really? between this and The Little Hours. Uh, she seems to be, in, and also Legion on FX, uh, you know, it, when you become famous for playing a character as specific as April uh, on Parks and Rec, and it seems to be pretty much tied into your exact persona and energy mm-hmm. the way April was. It can be challenging to break out of that and find, uh, you know, a fulfilling, diverse career path. And while the characters that she's played this year haven't been that far <laughs> from that, uh, you know, I think that she, with each of them, has explored different dimensions of it. And this one in particular is 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 pretty poignant and emotional and vulnerable. Yeah, this one does have a lot of depth. There's that there's this um, you know unhinged portion that you see, but then there's a there's a very clear other side. Mm-hmm. And then someone who starts to sort of uh, as she accepts this new life kind of acting you know, quote unquote normal mm-hmm. it kind of you know starts to feel it and then kind of slides backwards so there's a lot of like you know back and forth about where this character goes and how she yes. plays her but I think the big question is what is normal in this movie oh of course because yeah I mean that was me being lazy <laughs> using that word he zeroed right in we bring you here every week David well, it, it's, it's like... <laughs> no sleeping on this one <laughs> but it, Taylor's character perpetuates the Instagram myth of normal for sure mm-hmm. and mm-hmm sells that perfectly but then you've got um what was the name of O'Shea 
Danny is he Dan I think Dan yeah um he's like weird and quirky but totally not self-absorbed and not living Mm -hmm. this kind of fake life so normal but just not Instagram friendly right as normal as you get when you just sit around and vape in your bedroom right which is totally normal (laughs) by the way (laughs) (laughs) so uh you want to like kind of talk through how the story goes we have Ingrid so we have Ingrid and when we first meet Ingrid our character introduction to her is a pretty strong one (laughs) uh she shows up at a wedding um and there's this beautiful blonde bride and uh, Ingrid walks up to her and says something along the lines of, and she, we see Ingrid sitting in her car, I believe, looking at Instagram and seeing the, the post from the wedding. And the, the right away, I think we were probably all struck by how accurate they reflect the experience of looking at someone else's wedding on Instagram, mm-hmm. especially a couple that's like young and Instagram savvy. And white. And, and white. And who created their own hashtag for their and wedding. And created the hashtag, clearly. which for the record, I did as well. <laughs> you know, it just, just makes it easier to find the photos. <laughs> um, but, uh, but, you know, and so she leaves the car and walks through the wedding and then walks up to the bride and says something along the lines of, thanks for inviting me, you fucking cunt. And then she mazes her in the face. <laughs> um, and it's not played for laughs. It's very serious. Yeah, it is very, um, the, very intense. The bride's reaction is very visceral. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and and uh, Ingrid is tackled to the ground. Uh, so it's it's real tough. That it's did a, just happen in a uh, Black Mirror episode, didn't it? Uh, it was the know. one where you, they where it's like all social media and you can only like get things by having like enough social media credits. Mm. Like, and she's oh. supposed to go to her friend's wedding. Mm. She's been trying to earn enough credits to get her to have her be in her wedding. I but this movie's also done very differently than Black Mirror, where <laughs> um, you know it's it's very I don't know it has a very cold feel to it but this movie mm. feels not you know feels more warm and realistic right by this point we'll probably have discussed how marjorie prime is somewhat like a black mirror episode yes. as well yeah very much that actually <laughs> felt like it was filmed in the same style of a, of a black mirror episode like yeah. we already said like we said in that last review that we already did <laughs> so guys we're taping this part first <laughs> this is not recorded in chronological order uh so uh so ingrid uh goes home and uh and i believe there's a hospitalization alluded yeah, to yeah there's a little bit of that and and, uh, and then she is looking after her mother, and her mother passes away. And Ingrid is is on Instagram, just desperately trying to connect with people. And I think the first time that I really felt super, super seen uh, in the movie is uh, the bit where Ingrid is, she's just drafting and drafting and drafting a <laughs> comment to leave on someone's post to like get their attention. Someone who they're not friends with, but they just want to like leave that comment that'll make them stand out. And just her absolute joy and delight at getting a response uh, to that yeah. comment. Her all of the options, like the draft she goes through, it is it uh, is so relatable. It it's is so, so relatable. Um, I, I feel like they would even even like uh, uh, you know communication vehicle agnostic. That feeling of being like, I'm going to say something. No, I'm going to delete that. Mm-hmm. No, I'm going to say something. Oh, I'm going to delete that. They just do it so well. These writers are just yeah. have their like their minds are in your mind. And that's something that I really love about movies that are about like social media or using computers or things like that because I love. There's really no other device that can show you the light, the thought mm, process yeah. of a character, mm-hmm. like watching someone draft what they're going to say and then delete it. Yeah. yeah. Um, there was that movie Unfriended that took place entirely on like on people's computer screens. Oh right. Uh, they're like haunted by a ghost. Mm-hmm. And to me, like it was, it was, it was, you know, a, a, a cheap horror movie. But being able to see, every, you know, like all the things that are drafted and not said was so revealing. There's so uh, many drafts to you. <laughs> oh, God. I know. I'm saying you have an entire Gmail just like <laughs> Thanks Jason, for inviting Jason, me, you J- fucking cunt. <laughs> <laughs> so 
subject line. <laughs> Jasonhatemail at gmail.com. Uh, and, uh, and just her despair, listlessly refreshing her notifications over and over and over, waiting to see a new one. Oh, man. Hit too close to home. Been there. <laughs> would, you, would you say, David? Yeah, yeah. I love it. it, it I think You're checking the, your phone right now. Well, <laughs> He's like, nothing. I posted something an hour ago. <laughs> Not a single like. Oh, the worst. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think anytime it hits trip figs, that's my metric of success. Oh, that's, sure. I'm sorry. Trip figs? It's it's when your like count goes over a hundred and triple dig. That's the thing. It, it, I didn't know it had a capacity for more than two numbers. <laughs> I thought it was a character limit situation. But it's actually just not that. Many. Oh, 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 I see. It, it it very rarely happens for me. Very rarely. Maybe it's because I I, I don't. Do, okay, actually, I have a question for you now. Um, on the, on topic. Oh. When you do that thing where you post a picture, then it's like hashtag food, hashtag gay guy food, hashtag gay guy eating food, hashtag gay guy eating carrots, hashtag carrots, 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 or like whatever, and you have like this block of hashtags. Mm-hmm. Do you draft those somewhere else and then copy and paste them into Instagram, or do you do them all like on the fly? Yeah, duh. <laughs> okay. So checking. Instagram has a hashtag limit of thirty hashtags per yes, post. I found that out the hard way. That includes in comments and when people add in their own hashtags so I'm not letting anyone take up that real estate and I've got my 30 decided before I go in. Wow. <laughs> yeah, Wait, do you, do you reverse, do you, do you find what the hash, do you make your own or do you, are you like these are popular hashtags about gay guys eating carrots and I'm going to use that one or do I like, do we just like, hopefully the other one or someone else has done this one? Yeah, like if anyone who works on Instagram listens to this feature request because I would like more searchability, you kind of have to start your hashtag knowing where you're going but mm. I'd like to be able to like search hashtags by keyword like mm. gay food <laughs> <laughs> guys so. guys hook him up with this gay food and I'm sure you're all wondering right now what is the handle where I could follow this miraculous account <laughs> full of gay boys eating carrots <laughs> yeah actually, I already post my face but um, David P. Fitz is where you can get that That's Fitz it. with a Z like my surname not or having, Z not having Fitz not having Fitz yeah hashtag right. like my surname <laughs> <laughs> What's well, like if the P fits? Yeah. Oh shit. Yeah, I see. There it is. There's that. See. And uh, so that's where you can find all of David's uh, David's canned uh, batch of, of hashtags. He uses for as many food posts. Which many come from Blue Apron, do they not? No, that that was a phase. Oh, okay. <laughs> Mainly We're trying to get a sponsor, David, say yes. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, it's, it's a lot of like what was left over in my fridge uh, is the theme of my account. And the magic he makes of it, guys. Hmm. You'll have to Wait, so does that mean that there's something in your fridge and the first time you cook with it you don't post about it but then when you have it left over then you do post about it it's I constantly it's a compounding on itself thing where there's always one leftover from the previous meal uh, which is the inspiration for the next meal oh, oh. it's like that thing see and I went party game it's like <laughs> what party game you know you like say a word and the other person has to say like a word mm-hmm. with like the last letter of the, of the it's of about the connectivity mm-hmm. yeah connectivity and, and I wanted to let you know that I do see them because I never like them because I have a policy against <laughs> liking food photos. No, I understand that will totally like mess up your recommendations. It's very triggering of for our diet options. <laughs> right, exactly. We're very, we're very limited, and also I'm just against it. <laughs> you don't you I respect that. <laughs> liking like, uh, liking a photo of carbs is just as bad as eating a carb. Mm-hmm, yeah, I don't want to risk throwing myself out of ketosis or anything. <laughs> so anyway. So finally, so, Ingrid finds somebody for yes. whom, with whom she can be obsessed with again. And she um, finds it in a lady mag with the, the most appalling ongoing trend for describing a cool lady to learn about. Girl crush. Mm-hmm. 
It says, uh, everyone you have, we found your next huge girl crush, Taylor Sloan, <laughs> which is such a good name. It's so character. perfect. It is absolute white nonsense. Oh, <laughs> perfect. Peak so Ingrid white takes nonsense. the rest of her um, inheritance and just picks up and goes west. Moves west. Taylor Sloan is played by Elizabeth Olsen. Nails it. Nails, Nails it. it. Mm-hmm. Holy shit. And she is just... You know, just your classic sort of like bullshit Silver Lake bohemian bougie nightmare. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yoga, Coachella. Wide-rimmed hats. It's so good. And, but the other thing is like I feel like even this person they were talking about, I've seen it done in a bad way. I've mm-hmm. seen this kind of person like do been made a mockery of before in a way that was like too much or too far off. Mm. This one's like just enough. It's so have, good. Have you guys seen the web series Very Mary Kate? Yeah, oh, oh, my yeah. God, yes. Mm-hmm. oh my god, so yes. Oh my god. So I had a that feeling as soon enough. as Elizabeth Olsen came on screen that it's like, this is the other sister. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that it's like, it's this pa- extreme parody mm-hmm. on this like yes. far end. But oh, yeah. she's the relatable one. The other ones are just crazy and quirky. Oh my god, I need to watch that again. <laughs> I mean, I think it's precisely because Elizabeth Olsen has grown up around this world that she's yeah. able to, because she is not that way. Mm-hmm. So I think she's able to parody it as, as brilliantly as she does. And also is a testament to her performance that it doesn't turn into parody. Mm-mm. Like, she's never judging her character at Mm-mm. all. Uh, you know, so she plays her in a way that, I mean, like, you know, she's, ultimately she's kind. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, she, she's almost to a fault because she doesn't really, she doesn't see anything wrong with Ingrid, which partially, which mainly is because she's such a narcissist that she never really <laughs> looks at Ingrid long enough. And when she looks at Ingrid, she just sees a clone of herself looking back at her. And she's like, I like, yeah, you're perfect. Yeah. You're amazing, I, mean, I love you. She definitely goes into into their friendship, like, pretty open very open heartedly like a pretty to a stranger and like mm -hmm. very accepting and like and brings her in and like takes her around Mm -hmm. but it's like you know it's kind of that classic almost high school feeling where it's like someone is fun and interesting to you until someone else is more and fun interesting to you Mm -hmm. and like she doesn't like maintain that friendship i mean mean, she has good reason not to (laughs) by that point but still but um, it's, it's like the contrast of like the 90s thing that we were brought up in of um, never trust people you meet online. It's mm-hmm. like the total opposite of that. Mm-hmm. But right, yes. Like, oh, well, except for her, who should never have trusted Ingrid. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, yeah, because going into it, um, it's just like happenstance really is how they meet, right? There's no... no well, oh, no, well, it's very calculated. Well, the first, no, before, for, from oh, her perspective. Oh, the first time they meet. Oh, from her perspective, yes. From Taylor's. Oh, yeah. right, of course. And right, the, yeah. the part where I started feeling seen, which is <laughs> casual stalking. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, who would do this insane thing? So she, she, Ingrid finds Taylor in the magazine on the internet, goes west and is, you know, stalking her Instagram and starts following again in the um, Echo Park, Silver Lake mm-hmm. area of LA. And of course, Taylor makes it super easy by posting all her restaurants that she goes to, all her bookshops she shops at, exactly. all of it. Um, so she adopts her style, adopts her daily habits, adopts her restaurants, and eventually steals her dog <laughs> until she um, has a has manufactured a way to run into her and look like an amazing person, which I can't say I've never done. Yes, I believe you actually came across your cat by this very method, and then the person <laughs> the person never claimed her. Never did. And, uh, <laughs> so you still have teacup to this day. Because that lady uh, was just like, you know, you can keep her. Teacup blueberry alarm day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's our, that's our mascot. <laughs> uh, so, uh, and by this point, Ingrid has also given herself a makeover uh, mm-hmm. to uh, to basically resemble the every style tick of Taylor. She's lightened her hair. She's bought a clothes. She's bought the clutch. 
Um, you know, she's eating avocado toast at all the same restaurants. <laughs> um, you know, she's reading Joan Didion. She's reading Norman Mailer. <laughs> it, gives, it gives Joan Didion such a such a shit rap in this movie. It's so funny. It really, it really does. And yet, she somehow deserves it. Oh, absolutely, she totally does. <laughs> Oblivious know, white nonsense is you know, just navel gazing. Perfect. Yes. Yeah. You know, and in you know controversial remarks to to denigrate Joan Didion, I realize. Uh, but you know Fair. you you have to be able to acknowledge the reason yes. why she has become sort of like the literary patron saint of a certain set of like navel gazing California Southern California narcissists mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. who are self styled bohemians. Yes, um, and of course there are jokes in the movie about whether or not any of these novels have actually been read right <laughs> um, by those who purport them, um, or if it's just all part of the meticulous image management. Uh, of this subset of person. Mm-hmm. Curation is key. Curation is <laughs> key. So it ends up working out for Ingrid. She does it, you know, pretty well, even though it seems like she has a, a barely a grasp on like what is okay enough to do and what is too far. It, I think that that narcissism really is what kind of covers the balance for her a little bit. Mm-hmm. And uh, Taylor doesn't really realize exactly how crazy she is. And it falls right. into like a really fast, really mm-hmm. intense friendship. And Taylor's husband also um, mm-hmm. is who's played by Wyatt Russell, yes. son of Kate Hudson and Kurt Russell. Crazy. Or did I say Kate Hudson? <laughs> son of Goldie <laughs> Hawn and Kurt Russell. It's a, uh, it's two. What man? I just smell a lot of a celebrity families, right? You have Elizabeth Olsen. Mm-hmm. You have um, O'Shea. Yeah, O'Shea Jack. Uh, O'Shea the Jack. dreamy, dreamy. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, was he handsome? Mm-hmm. Oof. Um, Ice then Cube you have son. Him, uh, Russell. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, whole gang. Uh, so, uh, but then, despite you know all the families here, it's ultimately family that leads to Ingrid's downfall in mm-hmm. the form of Taylor's brother, who wow, oh wow. That was uh, that's a character. It's played by Billy Magnuson. Um, who I feel has been popping up in so much of what he, I've been watching lately. Yes, and he Breaking has. Schmidt yes. And um, he was in the, the he, yeah. Things. He was in into the into the woods. Yeah. Um, he was in uh, the meddler, uh, and he is shredded as fuck. Yeah, what's up with that? Oh my god! I've Body never, fat percentage zero. Oh my, I've never seen <laughs> That's the hashtag, a right? pair of yeah. <laughs> I've never seen a pair of little boy shorts be worn be 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 ripped quite so wide by muscle. Yeah, uh, and yet I mean, still looks so good. <laughs> I'm sorry. Look on the other side of the desk. You <laughs> <laughs> can just take a peek. Oh! <laughs> Every day is quad day for Rebecca Olarte. <laughs> Uh, so Billy Magnuson is the equally vapid narcissistic, but far more cynical and less sinister. generous, sinister mm-hmm. um, sibling of Taylor. And it's when he shows up that it's the beginning of the end for Ingrid because he yeah. takes one look at her and sees right through her. Yeah. And, uh, and, and <laughs> yes, yes, and we all take a moment of silence when we've been that person who's been seen through, <laughs> right? Yeah, really very we all just familiar. we all just sat here and just we all deflated, just. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, once again, man, this movie just reads people so mm-hmm. well. It read, it read us all for filth. That's oh, what it did. It sure did. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so once the brother gets on the scene, then Ingrid starts getting edged out, and she starts acting out in um, crazier and crazier ways to try to re- hold on to her friendship with Taylor. Mm-hmm. And uh, at one point, the sort of point of no return is uh, she convinces Dan, her pseudo-boyfriend. So the ways we didn't talk about, she met O'Shea Jackson Mm. Jr., who plays this guy named Dan, because he's basically sort of like the landlord of this apartment that she rents. And um, and he is hitting on her, and she's not interested. But then 
she picks up that Taylor would like be interested more in her if she had a boyfriend mm-hmm. or it'd be advantageous to her socially. And so she's just like, you're my boyfriend. Okay. And he's like, what? Okay, sure. Um, and so then she, um, she has these guys punch her in the face. And then she tells Dan that like, oh, it was the brother. The brother did this to me. And so then they take him out in the, out in the desert Mm. Um, they kidnap him, they take him to the desert, and they're going to kill him, but then they leave him for dead, but then he's not dead. Right. And it's when he comes back, and he, and he of course, tells his sister and brother-in-law what had happened. Right, and, and even the reason he got to this point was after he, you know, originally seen her and then, and started to, like, slowly kind of uh, neg her and push her out of the, the way, and at one point, he actually takes her phone and, and mm-hmm. is, is able to see all of the things she has done, all of the stalking, all the mm-hmm. notes she's taking. After spotting that the pin code was his sister's birthday. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so he has, like, he has something you know against her he's blackmailing her with where she kind of right. goes off the rails this extreme yes and physical assault and uh and the three of us did absolutely rush to our phones and delete all incriminating notes from from our <laughs> notes apps uh, once the film was done because that was a chilling chilling moment that was one of those oh god you're busted moments that just made me cringe mm. so hard and she's just like i mean like no it's like no big deal i mean like and he's like yeah i see exactly what it is so try to kill him doesn't work comes back tells his family they very justifiably um cut ingrid out of their lives Mm -hmm. and uh and then she attempts to still just show up show up show up show up she um makes this insane gesture of buying this dream house that taylor had talked about wanting to own one day which is in in of course joshua Joshua Tree. tree jesus I mean, this movie, it knows its shit. It fucking knows it. It knows its shit. If you don't like, here's what I, I'm just going to give a, a word of advice real quick. If you don't like this movie, don't tell anyone you don't like this movie. Because if you, if people hear you say that, they're just going to be like, oh, it's because you see yourself in something right. in this movie that's terrible, which is yeah. going to make you not like it. So if even if you don't like it, shh. It's not that you right. didn't like it, you were hurt by it. Exactly. <laughs> it offended you because yeah, if, you saw yourself in it. If you're like, you know, I think that movie was really mean. Um, it's like, well... Yeah, or if you're like, you know, like, I really saw a lot of myself in Taylor. <laughs> you're, you're a terrible person. I know. I feel like someone wouldn't say that. They'd just yeah, be like, I don't know. I didn't like, like it. Yeah, like, mm, like I didn't oh, really get it. Of um, course. Right. It's like, oh, that girl is weird, I guess. Mm. <laughs> so, uh, so it's funny. You mentioned the, the house in Joshua Tree yes. that Ingrid goes to buy. One issue that I had with it was why wasn't Taylor upset that her dream property was suddenly yeah. for sale? Like I, I feel mm. like they that was like one gap in the plot that I feel they could have explored more of her like yeah. finding out that it was purchased by Ingrid or something. Yeah. But she seemed to be just like yeah, oblivious I mean, to the yeah, fact that just, her dream so had suddenly been taken away. Right across from it. It's yeah. this little tiny kind of bungalow that mm-hmm. is like literally feet away from the little bungalow that Taylor and her husband own. So mm-hmm. they would be, and they'd already put money down on it because they were going to turn it into like an Airbnb, mm-hmm. right? Like rug shop or something. Right, curated. And, like, yoga studio. I, think, I believe the word curated was used. Was used. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I feel like she would have known. And I also feel like uh, Ingrid left with what, like sixty thousand dollars or something like that. Yeah, you can buy a house in Joshua. Well, I guess maybe she just put a down payment on it. But like, she right. goes, she pretty much has like one month, at least one or two months of rent uh, in LA, and then she buys all these clothes. She goes to all these parties and mm-hmm. dinners. Like I was like trying to do the math of how yeah. long she runs out of money. We well, see the joy is when you hit that influencer life. You get all this stuff for free. Oh, oh that's true. So. I feel like Taylor did, but I don't know about if Ingrid was quite you know, at the influencer yeah, status. No, no, certainly not at that point. Uh, mm-hmm. But, you know, she was picking up. We do see 
uh, throughout the film as Taylor starts posting pictures of Ingrid. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ingrid does start to pick up a lot of followers and a lot of commenters. Mm-hmm. And we can see that this is very much feeding the monster, mm-hmm. um, by which I mean making her blissfully happy, <laughs> um, but about things that um, you know you shouldn't be blissfully happy about per se. Davis. So- <laughs> what? I like the dopamine rush. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can't beat it. You can't beat it. This brings us to the part of the movie that I think we is the reason we want to spoil this shit because there's one, I mean, I feel like we all enjoyed this movie very thoroughly. Uh, there's, it has kind of one black eye that I've had a hard time reconciling, and I, it's been it's been hard for me to recommend this movie without saying like there's this part at the end that really mm-hmm. bothers me. Um, so she bought she buys this house across from from Taylor, but at that point she has run out of money. Yes. She can't afford to uh, plug in her phone because <laughs> there's no electricity, which is really kind of it. Um, she can't afford like a six pack of beer. Um, and then she tries to go and apologize and they just, they call her out and they say she's terrible. Um, there's no chance of, of getting back together with, with that family. And so she kind of, she goes home and she manages to like get enough juice to have what, like an Instagram live stream story Mm -hmm. thing Mm -hmm. and like live streams her taking a bunch of sleeping pills and attempting to kill herself. Yeah. And then like apologizing and being like, I've been totally fake and phony and like there's the, you know, the Ingrid, you know, is not the real me and this sort of just like, yeah, like a suicide note, mea culpa. And then yeah, takes a bunch of pills, goes down for the count, uh, then wakes up in a hospital bed. Mm-hmm. And uh, she has survived her suicide attempt, and uh, and then Dan, uh, who has been severely injured um, because of her, and completely forgotten, and completely forgotten, um, comes wheeling in in a wheelchair and is just all smiles and cream, and mm-hmm. uh, not the same, but I'm gonna stick with it. Smiles and cream. <laughs> That's what I think of when I think of happiness, and especially because it's keto friendly, and. Um, it's not so much, but like, and uh, and then he uh, informs Ingrid. He's like, "Oh, you're blowing up. You've gone viral." And she's like, "What?" And she looks at her phone, and she has like she she's become a celebrity. She's become an Instagram celebrity. She has a gazillion new followers. She has a million comments. Of people being like, "I see you. I love you. You're amazing. Like you know, come through. Like you're a light. You you know, shine your light. Just those kinds of the, the vapid Instagram platitudes mm-hmm. um, that uh, that we've probably all trafficked in at one point or another." <laughs> And um, and then sort of it ends with her just like looking at her phone with just these bright eyes full of joy, um, like she's like it's happened. She's like I've gotten what I want. And the hashtag I am Ingrid. Trending. I am Ingrid. <laughs> I am Ingrid. Oh, yeah, Trending is a hashtag. So I mean I you know I think that her life has never been better. Her her suicide attempt led to her having the best life she's ever had. Which is just seems irresponsible. Yes, it's irresponsible for a movie. Yes, I don't know. I mean I I feel like there's. You can look at it and say, that's also silly and that's a joke. And this is, of course, this is how this ridiculous person would like end this ridiculous story. And like that, and like th- that's not correct. But I still think even putting it there without making it, making the point a little bit more clear mm-hmm. uh, is, is, isn't great. Yeah. It wasn't great. It, it definitely it didn't feel like there was enough consequence mm-hmm. for it. Exactly. Yeah, there was <laughs> like no a, consequence. The way of thinking yeah. about things is, um, is there a consequence <laughs> for this action to justify having it in the movie? Right. There wasn't. Yeah. No consequence at all. Uh, so very, very troubling um, in the sense it's probably the most uplifting suicide attempt in mm-hmm. film history. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was almost encouraging. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I mean, it's it's definitely a problem. I mean, people want to, you know, hang a, a lot of responsibility on shows like 13 Reasons Why, mm-hmm. um, you know, which is a show that makes suicide look very, very sad and depressing. And, and, uh, and then here's Ingrid Goes West, which makes it seem just like, okay, cool. Like, it's not a big deal. She didn't die. Mm-hmm. She got the guy. She got the fame. Right, yeah. Um, so, you know, like, she, peachy keen. Mm-hmm. So, really... Uh, smiles and peachy cream. Smiles and, smiles and peach cream. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's my sign-off now. Smiles and peach cream. Jason. 
Um, it's my XOXO gossip girl. Uh, so that that definitely is an issue, and uh, and I, I had a few other things in this movie that I wasn't wild about. One of them, David and I have gone back and forth about, and we can talk about it now. I feel like the film doesn't really know what it thinks of Ingrid. Yes, um, yeah. It, it seems very uneven in presenting her. Like, is she is she this like disturbed loner psychopath mm-hmm. who goes mm-hmm. around forming these like pathological attachments to pretty blondes? And then getting too obsessive and then attacking them mm-hmm. whenever, the, you know, they start to pick up that she's crazy. Or is she just like a, a, a sad, lost soul who's lonely and just wants friends? And also, what does she want? Does she want friends or does she want fame? Right. Uh, and then she, there's that point where she's like uh, very manipulative of the people around her to get what she mm-hmm, wants. So right. it's like, is she sympathetic or is she... And I mean, exactly. that's, it's okay to be multiple things. Sure. Except for they're kind of contradictory in a way that just struck me as like not a great written character right especially because some of the activities kind of go so far into like mental health Mm -hmm. issues like it almost has like a welcome to me type vibe Mm -hmm. of um that sort of like distance from reality and trying to like manifest this world for yourself because you're you know you can't really um work well with what's going on but then then it flips to her being like sort of you know completely able to blend in with other people Mm -hmm. um which i don't know it just seems hard to to reconcile i think that that was the funny part for me as well that she we we didn't see much of the backstory um Mm -hmm. aside from it starting with this incident at the wedding so and the fact that she started that with looking at her instagram feed it's nearly like is instagram the real villain in this Mm -hmm. movie like had it already messed her up in her way of thinking Mm -hmm. before the movie even started and the storyline with Taylor is just another one of these incidents. Right. Um, it, like, I would have loved to have seen, like, her, the girl in her youth, like Ingrid, as a teenager, mm. or something to kind of just give you a bit more of a sense of how much Instagram's been, the impact of this, versus having kind of mental health issues to start with that were kind of pushed over the edge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, and I think we see here, I mean, I think it's definitely in some ways a condemnation of sort of the pathos of Instagram and uh, the pathos of what Instagram has sort of like gradually brainwashed us into believing is happiness in the Mm. sort of just the very, the unrealistic, filtered, um, curated images that we present to the world on Instagram. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, even though we all know, you know, we all know in our minds that like, okay, these are not, this is not their everyday, every waking moment. When you know the things that you look at are the things that you, that you, that feed you and the things that like fill your mind. And so this idea that happiness is what you see people posting on Instagram and uh, that that is them living their best lives and you look at yourself and you feel bad and you're like, well, I want to be like them. And uh, I think that, you know, we're not 100% clear if the first friend she had in the movie at the wedding was someone who she had stalked on Instagram as well. Mm, Um, I mean, we can probably infer, but we could only do that because they never really say. Um, But, you know, that's the only way I could see the end making sense. And, like, I think it's clearly meant to be, like, a dark ending, even though the movie doesn't really pull it off. It just seems like she gets everything she wants. Right. Um, But, you know, she wanted to become Taylor's best friend. And then, in the end, she succeeded in becoming Taylor. And now she was an Instagram celebrity who now had all the friends. Which I guess maybe, maybe saying it that way made a little more sense because... When I think of the story of Taylor and her husband, that's mm-hmm. where it's very clear about like, you know, they make this back, they explain this backstory like uh, her husband's like, she used to be like normal mm-hmm. and she didn't take photos of everything and she didn't care about the way everything looked and, um, you know, or, or she would read the books that she she had. Mm-hmm. And now that this like lifestyle has taken over, she isn't the same person Then he misses the person that it used to be. So like their, their arc and their narrative of like mm-hmm. doing this art and being these like right. influencers it shows that it was to, for, you know, it was something mm-hmm. that manipulated them and it took over and they went from like a, a not 
from a better place to not so great place. Yeah. So I guess what the story is actually that she becomes Taylor and like it's like the beginning of the new story of a new mm-hmm. Taylor. It's then like it an makes origin more sense. story. Yeah. <laughs> but like the the old Ingrid story that we're we're driven through right. in this movie doesn't really make any sense. Yeah. It's almost like the fact that it does you know paint her out to it does spend so much time on her mental illness almost undermines that. Because, yeah. 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 Because you know it seems like okay well that's a different story then right. yeah, as opposed to just like boring average girl moves to L A buys wide brimmed hat. Read. <laughs> <laughs> Reads slouching toward Bethlehem, starts Instagram account. But that, that's one of the things that I, I found super interesting of the knowing which behaviors were kind of motivated potentially by mental illness or the kind of general zeitgeisty, mm. like we're all in this kind of thing. Because mm. as you mm. said, like the refreshing notifications, totally guilty. Mm-hmm. I've done that myself. Never done that before. But <laughs> it's just like what? so many behaviors that she exhibits that we can relate to nowadays 20 years ago that type of like stalking or attention to someone else's life couldn't be done and you would have to genuinely be crazy to pursue someone at that level mm-hmm. you mean you so, go outside and check the mailbox every day five or six or seven times a day <laughs> but it's, it's that kind of thing like we technology has enabled us to be the psychos we couldn't have been 20 mm. years we ago we only could have dreamed of being exactly so rebecca's more of an old-fashioned drive your car around the house a few times <laughs> she's like uh, now i yourself. take an uber around the block a few times <laughs> just gonna lift line just keep entering new locations uh speaking of 20 years ago there's two movies that this movie especially is reminiscent of I think the most obvious one people have compared it to just because of the gender factor is single white female. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but you know I was and I was talking to um, to a friend the other day about the comparisons and, and Ingu Ingu mm-hmm. yeah because she wrote that piece about single white <laughs> yeah, females yeah, anniversary yeah. and uh, and I started to realize I'm like it's actually really not that much like single white mm-hmm. female. What it is a lot like is a talented Mr. Ripley. Yes. Mm. Um, a disturbed yes. loner becomes fixated on and gradually tries to become a golden, vapid narcissist with a beaming blonde spouse, ingratiates himself into their social circle, mm-hmm. earns their trust, has a pretend relationship to appear normal. I know. Ice Cube's son is the Kate Blanchett, arouses oh, the yeah. extreme iron antagonism of their loved ones in Ripley with Philip Seymour Hoffman, and this it's the brother, leading mm-hmm. to violence oh, against yeah. that person. Um, ultimately, they're found out and exposed in a humiliating way. Um, it just so happens that Ingrid ends at the halfway point of Ripley. Yeah. Wow. Uh, huh. <laughs> of the shipping Ingrids? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, that's on point. I was going to say that the other thing about the single white female thing is that it's interesting if you think of it in terms of, as as Ingrid's piece talked about, like mm-hmm. the lesbian panic, right. is that you didn't feel that way in this movie in a way that I think that the way this movie shows modern sexuality doesn't mm-hmm. like sure they might make out and they might hook up and they might not but like it's not like a panic or a scare and you don't it just yeah. seems like it could or could not happen but it would be a, like a dimension of their relationship yeah i mean that's interesting i did think and i know we kind of joked about this but i did think that it kind of failed to address any queerness any or any, any even possibility of queerness mm. in this movie because we don't know this, this obsession, and I, I did see, I mean, I haven't seen Single White Female in a long time. If you guys don't know what piece we're referring to, our friend Ingu uh, wrote a piece for the rap about the 25th anniversary of Single White Female and was calling it out for what she thought of as its, as its lesbian phobia, um, depicting, you know, sort of placing along the, the ranks of movies like Basic Instinct as movies from the early 90s that had like LGBT killers. And she was, mm-hmm. of course, she was taking a leap and suggesting that Jennifer Jason Lee's character was meant to be having like a lesbian fixation right. on Bridget Fonda. Uh, so uh, in this, you know, you would think that it would have been, somebody would have, you know, addressed it. 
been like, well, how, what are these obsessions? What are these attachments that you have? Or at least had somebody be like, so is it like, are you, do you want to fuck them? Or, and she could have had that moment, but he's like, well, no, I mean, I just like, cause I don't think every obsession has to be fundamentally sexual. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that it's, it's still like in this day and age to not even ad- address. That I there feel could like it would have st- been a little muddy if they would have addressed it. I think that like, first of all, she doesn't really t- talk to or open up to anybody about what she's doing. So there would have been mm-hmm. no place for her to have a conversation about this. But I think the fact that it doesn't get muddy with the fact that there's like a sexual attraction just doesn't make sexuality the bad guy, which I think is fine. But mm-hmm. it, I mean, it also feels very like their relationship is very close in a way that that doesn't feel like it's afraid of a gay moment. Mm-hmm. And, but the fact that it doesn't happen, I think, is fine. Yeah, I mean, I think it's probably true that if they did have that, then it would have made it like explicitly that kind of you know mm-hmm. like vaguely homophobic like lesbian panic type thing. Um, but at the same time, it just seems weird to have you know to you know especially since so many stories about you know female intimacy honest stories about female friendship and intimacy address that there can be a certain fluidity um of of the ways that intimacy is expressed and this movie just seems to be just like very concertedly keeping a distance from that and just sort of like just not addressing it in any way mm-hmm. you should see the conversations going on on the asexual forums about how much asexual panic is in the movie it's <laughs> is, that, is that a real thing are you no, saying totally that? Made that up. <laughs> i was like buy that in a heartbeat I'm like, that's probably true so you know i feel like at the end of the day this is kind of like a it's a fairly routine stalker story set against the backdrop of instagram uh, but you know, but it just it's those performances and it's from from everybody, not just the two female leads, but from like yeah. you said, from White Russell, from O'Shea Jackson, uh, you know, from Billy Magnuson. Everyone is really, really tremendous in this movie and just those details. Uh, you know, we all felt we all felt seen, we all felt busted, we all walked out with our heads hung low. <laughs> I, I'm interested to see how well the movie ages as mm, well. Because mm-hmm. as we said, like I think there's a brilliant kind of current relevance to it. And right. it hasn't expired yet. It still looks mm-hmm. everything looks like Instagram looks now and yeah. all that, but yeah. How quickly that kind of trend is gonna yeah, fade or whether the, it's gonna I don't be think seen it's gonna like, happen. I think it's I think it, it's locked in. I think that this time is going... I think it's okay to be like, this was that time, and it, this is what things look like right then. Yeah. Um, the, it, it's still going to feel... Re- the, the feelings of it are still going to feel relevant. Yes. Um, because Those a lot of the stuff that, that we have were universal weren't even necessarily about like the way I navigate Instagram. It's about way I've had other relationships with things and people. Um, and like it's just so good for right now that... I don't know. I think, I think it's going to age well. And, That's my know, guess. And I think that it's not like, you know, things aren't going to move backwards with social media in the way that it, it has these effects on us. It's only going to get more intense mm-hmm. and more personal and more invasive. So, you know, so th- I think in that sense, it'll probably at some point, probably in like a year from now, uh, will look like quaint. Like, yeah. remember when it was only that? Um, you <laughs> or know. maybe because they doubled down on it so much. Like when you kind of like put like a toe into the technology in, in your movie, then you're like, oh, that like looks kind of outdated. But they've doubled down on it so much that it's like just going to be a testament to like 2017. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I mean, I think back to movies. Uh, I'm trying to think about movies that are based on like obsolete like technologies. The like the net. <laughs> Hackers. Well, you know, or even going back to movies that are about like about using like video dating services or about using like, you know, personal ads and newspapers, things that are just like fully obsolete technologies. You've got mail. You've got mail. <laughs> but, I guess I guess people still have email. Exactly. People still have the that email. one is people actually still, a perennial classic. People still have the internet. <laughs> Uh, email my heart <laughs> what a ballad <laughs> everybody's been out there doing emails and <laughs> is that her quote the best Britney quote of all time yes uh, so but I, I do think and there's yeah there's absolutely a universality to the emotions of Inger Goes West of just wanting affirmation wanting to be seen wanting to be liked uh, and you know in the way that you know social media magnifies 
those uh, those those human needs. This movie uh, is uh, it's laugh out loud funny. We were listening to the trailer um, to pick our scene from it, and I was just like, I need to watch this again. I <laughs> I really really thoroughly enjoyed it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's getting a binge. It. It is getting a binge. It. Um, any uh, David? Any any other thoughts on the film? I know uh, you 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 prepared. <laughs> well, no, I, I think the inclusion of the hashtag at the end, the mm-hmm. I am Ingrid thing, mm-hmm. reminded me almost of like the product placement posts you see on Instagram. Yeah, that like yeah. I can imagine that yeah. that is going to start trending now once the film is released and people are like, oh my god, it's so relatable. Post. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just going to fuel its own. But it it, it, it will just naturally point. happen as like it was included in the plot. But it's the same as like, look at this lovely blue apron meal I cooked. <laughs> <laughs> Call me back, blue apron. <laughs> we guarantee you up to five new listeners each week. <laughs> so, uh, guys, yeah, yeah. Goes thank west. you so much. Uh, it's um, out now, and it is rated. Uh, I don't know something for something. Uh, <laughs> R for language throughout drug use, some sexual content, and disturbing behavior. Thank you so much. David. You're very welcome, guys. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Mm-hmm. Hashtag I'm David. <laughs> Make a trend. <laughs> Enjoy his sexualized food pictures, uh, which are conflated with his homosexuality. Mm-hmm. And what is it again? David P. Fitz. Got that. Great. Thank you so much. Uh, and that's it. That's our last movie of the week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, be sure to subscribe if you'd like on iTunes or wherever it is that you get your podcast. Jason is uh, on Twitter at Excess Faggage, also my Instagram handle. I am at Fight Balance, not my Instagram handle. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> Bye, guys. Bye-bye. Bye. Binging on movies with Rebecca and Jason. You made it to the end. That's amazing. There, there goes, goes the, the binge. binge.